Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3. Well, today we're going to be looking at a hero's behavior, and uh, just as good superheroes build credibility with their actions and behaviors, we as Christians are called to do the same. I mean, you think about the credibility, or you think about the, 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 what people think of you, I guarantee you, it all stems around, not necessarily uh, how you were born or where you were born or anything like that. Most of the time, they're, they're sizing you up based on your behavior, what your conduct is like. So look at the introduction here on your outline. Jesus said, we as born-again Christians are to impact our culture, calling us to be salt and light to the world. We've been discussing on Wednesday nights that whole idea of being salt and light. And, and of course, salt and light, anything that salt and light touches, it impacts. And basically, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is basically telling us that is your, your life needs to be characterized as someone who impacts where you are. The greatest way we can impact our culture is seen through our behavior, our actions, attitudes, and responses. In these verses, Peter instructs us in how we can impact our culture through our behavior or through our conduct. And so what he's going to do is he's going to, he's going to challenge us this morning. He's going to exhort us. So the first thing you see there on your outline is the ex exhortation to the hero. Look at verse 8 of 1 Peter chapter 3. He writes, finally, all of you. Now, when he says finally, all of you, the word, word finally there doesn't necessarily mean he's going to finish the letter. I think so many times we hear pastors who will say, and finally, or in conclusion, and, and we're sitting there and we're like, oh good, he's about to finish. But Peter's only halfway through the letter. So, so really when you look at the word finally there, it's really that whole idea to sum up what's already been said. That's what he's talking about. To sum up what I've already said, here's some more instruction to you. Now what has he already said? Turn back to chapter 2. I want you to look at verse 11. This is where he began this whole conversation. He says in verse 11 of chapter 2, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and, sojourners and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And again, that first part there, sojourners or pilgrims, is, it could be translated, you're aliens, you're different. You need to stand out. You go to verse 12, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. Verse 13, therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake whether to the king as supreme. Verse 17, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Verse 18, servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear and respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh, those who appear and at times are unreasonable. He goes on to verse 21, for this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. And so what he's doing is he's talking about all this conduct. He's talking about all this behavior. He's talking about how we relate to the government. How do we relate to those around us? How do we relate on the job? How should we just conduct ourselves to abstain from those things that are fleshly and worldly? And then he comes to chapter 3, verse 1, something we looked at last week. He says, wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands. And basically, he's given instruction to the family here, the dynamic of the family. And then he, verse 7, he, he goes to the husbands. He says, husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife. 
And so what you see here is Peter is basically building this whole argument or this, this whole case that, that our behavior, there's a certain way that our behavior needs to be around other people. And, and most of the illustrations that he's giving here, he's basically saying your behavior needs to be in such a way that it impacts the culture and it impacts the culture in such a way that people look to Christ, that they look to Christ. Now, I want you to now... He's getting ready to, in this conversation, or as he's writing, he's getting ready to move from Christian conduct by looking at Christian virtues. Now, the development of virtues enables us, and this is what he's going to write about, to inherit blessings and to find peace. The virtue in these, in these verses we're about to read keep us useful and productive in our Christian walk and keep us in fellowship with God and his people, and not only his people, but the people who are outside the church also. So look at verse 8 of chapter 3. He says, finally, all of you, or to sum it up, all of you, be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult. Now, there's several things that he's going to challenge us with. And I'm just going to go ahead and prepare you for this. What you're going to hear today from these verses are some of the most difficult things to live out that I believe are in the scriptures. And, and you're going you're gonna to see exactly what I'm talking about. You see, many of you came in, here, came in here this morning and many of you are struggling with issues in your life. And one thing that I think many of you are struggling with is the whole idea of forgiveness. The whole, whole idea that someone has hurt you in the past. Someone who you uh, was supposed to, to look to for, for help or to look to. And, and there's a great betrayal and, and all those things. And, and he's getting ready to address how we need to deal with that. Some of you this past week were dealt with unjustly. Some of you may have been uh, accused of something you didn't do. I think many of us can relate to, to, to what... Paul, or excuse me, Peter's getting it right here. But here's what you need to understand. Anytime we're under the stress and pressure of trials, suffering, and persecution, we stand a risk of losing focus of what really is important. And even the risk of damaging valuable relationships, including our relationship with God. So, so in Peter's exhortation, Look on your line. He encourages them or he encourages us today to be agreeable. To be agreeable. Look at verse 8 again. Finally, all of you be of one mind. Be of one mind speaks of unity. Now, unity does not mean total uniformity. It means cooperation in the midst of diversity. Now, let me say this. God has given his people a variety of gifts, talents, backgrounds, personalities, uh, experiences, and from all these differences will come different opinions which could lead to possible conflict and misunderstanding. There's great potential when God starts bringing people together from all different backgrounds, different giftings, different experiences, and he says, okay, I want y'all to come together and I want you to be as one. I want you to think as one mind with one purpose. That's a big task to ask, <laughs> especially in our fallen conditions as fallen people. And, and so he, he's trying to say, okay, now, even though this may happen, there's going to be misunderstandings and conflict, we are expected to work together in unity. Listen, our differences are intended to enrich the church, not divide the church. 
In Romans chapter 12, Paul writes, Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind. Don't be arrogant. But associate with the lowly. Don't think of yourselves above everyone. Don't, and then he says this, don't be wise in your own estimation. Don't, don't be a know-it-all. Don't think you know it all and no one else knows anything. And, and he's very clear on this. Paul encouraged the church at Philippi by writing this, fulfill my joy by being like-minding, have, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, and one purpose. And so the first thing that we see there is that we're to be agreeable. Next, Peter encourages us to be compassionate. To be compassionate. Look at verse 8 again. Finally, all of you, be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Now, there's something that's not on your outline, but if you have a little uh, space there, you may want to write this down. I want to I show you something here I think is so true. Compassionate people do three things, and they do it in this order. Number one, they see the condition of others. They're very sensitive to the needs of others. And a a compassionate person can walk into a situation, have a conversation with someone, and they can size something up. And then number two, they not only see the condition of others, they emotionally connect to their situation. There's an emotional connection there. Now, that's what compassionate people do. And then thirdly, they seek to help or to encourage. You see... So many times you'll hear something like this. You'll hear someone who's out there or you'll witness something. And here's what many times we'll say. We'll we'll look at it and we're like, wow. And here's what many of us will say. Bless their heart. Now, we think that communicates compassion. But most of the time, the person doesn't even hear it because we're sitting there and we're in our own little world in a prophecy of our heart. We're sitting there thinking, "Mm, bless their heart. But y'all, compassionate, a compassionate person not only says something or sizes something up, they respond to something. They don't just walk around saying these things. They respond to it. But most of the time, and, and, and you could say, well, our busy schedules or we're, we're called to do this and we're called to, I don't have time to take care of the needs of other people. What do you mean I'm supposed to not only make a comment and say a little short prayer for them? You mean I'm actually supposed to reach out to them? That's what the Bible says. Be compassionate. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 12. Look at what he says. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You know what many times happens to us when we're so consumed with ourselves and we get in the flesh? Here's what happens. We, we weep with those who rejoice and, and then we rejoice when there's weeping. Some of you are thinking, that is hard-hearted. That is harsh. Hey, that can be the condition of our souls at times. And we need to realize that we're called to be compassionate people. Compassion carries the idea of sympathy. It means uh, that you, uh, we are to be someone who comes alongside of others in their journey. We come alongside. We encourage them. That's why connection groups, that's the reason we push that so much around here. It's because it's not enough to come into a room and hear a sermon on Sunday mornings. We've got to actually get in there and have communication We need to hear people's hearts so we can reach out to them and be compassionate people that we've been called to be. That's what it's all about. Thirdly, or secondly, in Peter's exhortation, he encourages encourages us uh, to to be affectionate. In verse 8, look here. Finally, all of you, be of one mind, having compassion for one another. And then he says, love as brothers. He could say, love as sisters. 
He, he could have said, and this is probably more of the, the, a better way of looking at it, love is a family. Have the love of a family. You see, we are not to view each other as strangers, as mere acquaintances, or as distant relatives. We are to see each other as a close family having the same father. That's the picture that we have of us as believers who are called together to do something. Listen, when you think about it, families can have some pretty serious disagreements and exchange some very harsh words. But each member of the family must remember that they are still family. And we gotta, we gotta stay focused on that. We're still family. You see, affection implies that we are here for each other. First John chapter three, John writes, we know that we have passed out of death into life. What he's saying here, he's talking about, he's basically sizing up your life as this. Before you came to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you were walking in death, you were in death. Matter of fact, I think the teenagers are studying this on Wednesday nights. And so what happens is, is, is when Christ comes into our lives, we are no longer walking in death. Now we're walking in light. We're walking uh, in life. And so he says this. We know that we have passed out of death into life. When this takes place, how, does, how do we know it's taking place? It's when we have a love for the brethren. When we love the family. And then it goes on to say, he who does not love, he still abides over here. His home's still over here where there's death. It's not in life. And, and, and so he, he's very clear about that. We're commanded to be affectionate. Fourthly, in Peter's exhortation, he encourages us to be sympathetic. To be sympathetic. He uses the word tenderhearted. Finally, all of you, be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tenderhearted. The, the phrase or the word tenderhearted literally means soft soul soft soul but let me tell you the condition of many people here today and you're not going to like this but it's probably a very accurate assessment many of us have a hard soul we, we, we're, we're bound up in bitterness we're bound up in hatred and let me just tell you this you're only hurting yourself when you are bound up that way you're only hurting yourself we think that if we, and part of us, the reason we're hard-hearted or the reason we're, there's a, we have a hard soul is because for some of us, we use it as a way of protecting ourselves. It's almost like we want to build a, a hard shell around us where we're, we're not going to allow anyone to reach in and we're definitely not going to reach out again because last time we did that, it hurt and it hurt bad. And so we don't let anybody in. And we definitely don't want to be reaching out. But he commands us to do this. Let me tell you again who Peter is writing to. He's writing to those Christians who are being persecuted, who could lose their very lives because they're Christians. And he's telling them this. In the midst of all that, in the midst of the world wanting to come against you and all these different things that you're challenged with, remain soft-souled. Here, here's another way of looking at it. You, you're not bitter or holding anything against them because you can forgive. It's that person in which terrible things have happened to them, but you refuse not to forgive. That's what you're doing. You're refusing not to forgive. Listen, this happens when we are made aware of the forgiveness we have received from Christ. Ephesians 5, look here on the screen. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted. And then he says this, forgiving one another. You see, you've got to be tenderhearted to forgive one another. 
If you came in here today and, and there's a hard shell to your soul and you're sitting there and you're not letting anyone in and you're, you're definitely not going to reach out to anyone and you're sitting there and you're, you're in the midst of your hurt and your bitterness, guess what? You're not capable of forgiving one another, even as Christ, even as God in Christ forgave you. Now, here's, the real, here's, here's really where it comes down to. When it comes to forgiveness, it's not a matter of not being able to forgive someone it is a matter of not wanting to forgive someone. Now, let me just tell you this. A lot of you don't like that statement. I understand that. Listen, some things that some of you have dealt with in your past, I could never relate to. I've never been hurt as bad as some of you have been hurt in your life. I'm not going to stand up here and pretend like I have. But I have gone through it. Every one of you in this room has gone through it. It's just a matter to what degree have we gone through it. And here's the, real, here's the real deal about this. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, let me tell you, there's a supernatural element to your life that you need to be made aware of. Because here's what happened. You gave your heart to Christ. The Bible tells us clearly that the Holy Spirit then comes to live within us. He is the one who is capable of pulling off supernatural things in and through our lives. And let me just tell you this. Forgiving someone is a supernatural thing that takes place in a person's life. And so here's where you are this morning. You may have come in here hard-hearted, not letting anybody in. You're definitely not reaching out anymore because it hurts. You've been bit before and you're not going any further. It just stays right here. Guess what? You are, you are hurting yourself badly. Hurting yourself. You're only hurting yourself. And you say, yeah, but you don't know. You don't know what I've been through. The very people that I need to be looking to have hurt me. You don't know what that man's done to me. You don't know what that woman's done to me. Listen, you're right. I don't know. But I'm here to tell you God's word. God's word is light. It's life-giving. And if you're hard-hearted and you're sitting over here and you're, you're not going to let it... Listen, listen... You're going to have a long life in that. But God wants something so much more for you. But to get there, we've got to be sympathetic. It's, listen, it's not a matter of being, not being able to forgive because we can. It's supernatural. It's something God can do through us. It's a matter really of not wanting to forgive someone. Next, in Peter's exhortation, he encourages us to be thoughtful. To be thoughtful. Look at verse 8 again. Finally, all of you be of one mind. Having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted. And then in my translation, it says, be courteous. In many of your translations, it says, be humble. But really, if you take the idea of what's being said here, it's that whole idea of being thoughtful. Some, some translations, as I said, use the word humble in the place of courteous. The actual word in the Greek is difficult to translate it. Translate, but it means two things. It's made up of two words that means humble and it means to think. Meaning to think lowly or to esteem oneself lower than others. Now, I don't know about you. That's hard to do. Let me ask you this. You know, if you got somebody who's sweet and kind around you, hopefully you got a couple of those people around you. I, I have that every, occasionally. I have that around me. Hopefully all of us do. But you know something, it's easy to, 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 to think of their needs above your own. But what about the person who's hurt you? What about the person they just get on your nerves? And it's like, oh, what about that person? Nah, it, it applies to all. 
Let me give you the example. Hold your place here. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Listen, we are to be more concerned about the needs of others than our own. And it's the idea of being thoughtful. It's the idea of overreaching our lives and touching the lives of other people. And so here's what you have. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul was writing in verse 2. He says this, and we've already looked at this one verse. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for your own interest, but also for the interest of others. And verse five is a transition verse. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So, so here's what Paul does. He says, this is what your life needs to look like. And then he transitions and says, oh yeah, by the way, there's a perfect example for you that we can find in Christ. And here's what he says. Who being in the form of God, verse six, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself, that's Jesus, of no reputation, he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That is deity, listen, submitting to the need of mankind. If he humbled himself, do you think we could pull that off? Some of you say, but he's God. <laughs> Yeah, but listen, the one, who, the, the one who is God, listen, when the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, we don't become God. You need to understand that. But let me tell you something. It does mean, however, there's something supernatural that is working in and through us. And that's what we need to understand as it relates to that. Now think about this. Think about how our relationships would be different if we put the needs of others ahead of our own as Christ did for us. Can you imagine going to work tomorrow? And you go in and that harsh boss that you work for, that overbearing boss, you can't meet any expectation. All of a sudden, that rascal shows up, meets you at the door and says, hey, I just want to know how I can serve you today. How can I make your life a little bit easier? What, what, what would be your response? This, this guy's had a stroke. There's something wrong here. I don't understand. <laughs> Some of you, maybe you're more spiritual minded. Maybe you're sitting there saying, he finally got saved, amen. I mean, whatever, whatever it may be. But, but imagine if that took place. Imagine that coworker who who's always seems to be in competition with you at work and they're always coming to undercut you, slander you, push you down that they may be lifted up. All of a sudden they show up tomorrow and they bring a plate of brownies and say, hey, I just want you to know, I, I, I think the world of you, and I just want to encourage you a little bit. Would that not just blow your mind? But, but here's a better one. Suppose you showed up tomorrow morning with a plate of brownies, and you walked in there, and you said, I'm going to have a different attitude about this, and you prayed before you left and went off to work and said, God, I, I heard what that pastor had to say yesterday. I read it right there in the verses myself and out of God's word. It's exactly, I, I, this is exactly what I need to do. I just need to go in there with a whole different attitude, and, and I need to submit myself and, and, and lower my, and just try to meet the needs around me. What do you think that day may turn out like? It would definitely be different. Let me tell you, if you're the one that did that, everyone would take notice. They would start taking notice. And that is the life that Peter is describing for us here in his letter. 
We need to live a life that stands out, that impacts. Let's keep moving. So we see this clearly. In Peter's exhortation, he encourages us also to be peaceable. To be peaceable. He says in uh, verse 9, not returning evil for evil. Now, now Jesus, here's what we need to say. Jesus and Paul both strongly condemn retaliation when someone wrongs us. You do understand that, right? Someone wrongs you. We are never commanded to retaliate. Never, never commanded that. Jesus gave us a, a great big argument on the Sermon on the Mount. Paul gives us that here in these verses. Look at Romans chapter 2. Look at some of the verses here on the screen. This is hard to do, by the way. Listen to this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. How, how many of you ever done that? They come at you. They curse you. They slander you. And you just kind of walk up and say, well, bless your heart. You don't, you, don't, you don't go do that. You, what, what do we do? What, what wells up in us? Let's, let's keep reading. He says, but, but repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of men. That means you do the right thing in the sight of men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceable with what? All men. Now, I don't know about you, but I know most of you probably live your lives this way. You know, God's word says this, I got to do this. And I'm telling you, I, I, I want to be all that God wants me to be. And I want that life that impacts my culture. But, but I'm telling you, I've got to put at least three people on this list that I'll never live in peace with. Because I don't want to. <laughs> but it includes all. And not only that, it also says this, as much as it relies on you, did you know that peace is a two-way street with two people? And, and there's some people you'll never be at peace with because they refuse. But he's saying, put the burden on yourself to try your best to create peace. That's part of your ministry. He goes on, beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Don't go around thinking, here, here's, here, someone does something bad to you. The Bible says I got to bless them. I might as well get ready for it. They, I know they're going to curse me. They're going to slander me. And, and you walk in there, bless your heart. And then under your breath, you say, but God's going to get you. <laughs> That's not what it's saying. Listen, when it says to bless someone, listen, you look for, their, you look for the highest good for them. That's what that literally means when you bless someone. Now, can you imagine that? Trying to get your mind around all that? And then he goes on, he says, therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Now, a lot of you may read that and think, i tell you one thing. I'm, yeah, he did all this bad stuff. The Bible says, I'd just be nice to him. It's going to eat him alive. Now, that's partially right. But here's what I think this is saying. If you read between the lines, you take God's word in its total context. I think this is what this means. Instead of it eating you alive, stay with me. When we don't forgive, what happens? If you've had any experience with it like I have, it eats you alive. Instead of it eating you alive, let it eat them alive. Now, some of you are sitting there saying, yeah, I like that. We're getting somewhere now. No, that's still not it. But it's saying to protect yourself. And then he goes on and says, don't be overcome by evil, 
but overcome evil with good. Many years ago, I think I was 18 years of age, I used to work at a, at a, at a gas station there in Wilmington, North Carolina, on the corner of College and Oleander. I mean, it was one of the busiest intersections in the state. And I worked in this little gas station. It had a, all these pumps all around me. I was in this little booth in the center. You ever seen one of those type of gas stations? And one night, I was working third shift. About 2 o'clock in the morning, I'm sitting there, and, and this guy comes up to the window. And by the way... I, for one, know that anything that's out past midnight most of the time is up to trouble. I saw that firsthand working at a gas station all night. But anyway, he comes up to the window, and he says something to me very offensive. I mean, it's bad. He didn't just, I don't know this guy. It doesn't stop there. He just continues. And um, I mean, let me just tell you what was going on. This verse right here. Don't be overcome by evil. I was being overcome. Y'all, I have never felt rage and anger well up in me. Like I, I, I remember that, that night very well. And I felt and I felt like I'm about to explode. How many of you remember those eight-foot poles that they would extend to change the prices of the gas? You remember those? I about had enough. I was overcome. I went out the back door. He started looking. He didn't know what to do. I grabbed that eight-foot pole. <laughs> he got in the car. Guess what? I, I proceeded to wail on that car. I was beating the daylights out of that car. I'm serious. Before he could get away, I, I didn't put three big old uh, dents in that thing. I was overcome by evil. You may laugh, but man, I tell you, I, I still get mad thinking about it. I'll be honest with you. But, okay, but then he says this, but you overcome evil, how? With good. Now that night, he wasn't there begging me to put dents in his car that would really help him out. I chose to go that route. <laughs> that was not good. What I did was not good, but, but here's, here's one thing you got to look at it in the context of this. When I look back over that, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, you, God, you said bless those who persecute you and, or, or curse you and, and do good things. And when you say do good things, you mean those things that can bring, restore the relationship, that can show off what you're doing in my life and, and all these things. You said to do that. Me not doing that, what could that potentially mean? And here it is that that person may never see Christ live through a person. You see, I could have been there that night and I could have said, listen, I could have said, bless your heart, God's gonna kill you right here on the spot if you don't get out of here, but I just need to tell you about his love. <laughs> no, I mean, that's not the way to handle it either. But I should have been one who reached out, who overcame evil with what? With good. But let's face it, we, we miss that a lot. And there's no peace. You see, we've been called to live above the persecution and suffering caused by others. We are also to live above their insults or slander. And again, what are we doing? We're following the example of Christ. Next, in Peter's exhortation, he encourages us to be summoned. To be summoned. I want you to look at verse 9 again. Not returning evil for evil, nor insult for insult, knowing that you were called to this. You were called to this. He, he's saying you've been called to live a different type of life. Listen, to bless someone, as I said before, is to seek and ask for the highest good for them. Think about that. Someone does something horrible to you. 
And you get to the point in your life where you're seeking the highest good for them because you've been called, if they persecute you, if they hurt you, if they curse you, you've been called to speak blessings. And that means not rhetoric by saying, well, bless your heart. There's enough of that going on in our country right now, by the way. It's, it's speech that have substance that's literally doing something. And you've got to reach out. And, and he says, to do this, listen, think about the sharp contrast between what we shouldn't do and what we should do. We shouldn't seek revenge, but rather we should pray that God display grace to the person. This is the highest calling of a follower of Jesus. Remember what Jesus said while on the cross? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus was asking for God's grace to be poured out on his enemies. Those who were being executed. I mean, he who was being executed. Those who executed him. You see, blessing those who curse you or mistreat you also means speaking good to them and not wishing bad on them. Now, how many of you think, this is impossible to live. A lot of people, you would. I mean, I'll look at this. I, I know there's been times in my life where I've been hurt and, and I don't want to do this. I want them to pay. I want them to experience God's wrath. But he says that's not the way we go about it. Here's what it is saying. God, I don't know what you're up to. I don't know why you would allow this in my life. But thank you that you're in control. And I'm not about to wish evil upon this person. I want them to know you as I know you and trust you. Wow. You're talking about a big stretch. That's big. Next, in Peter's exhortation, he encourages us to be blessed. Basically, we're blessed, by the way, by doing the right thing. So look at verse 9 again. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Let me just say this. Blessings, do you know what follows, uh, let me say this. Do you, want, you know what follows obedience according to God's word? Blessings. Do you know what follows curses? I mean, do you know what follows disobedience? The Bible says Curses. Now, what's interesting about this is a blessing. A blessing does three things. A blessing brings purpose to your life, protection to your life, and provision for your life. That's what a blessing does. And so those that, that, that revel or, or curse us for Christ's sake, listen, add to our future inheritance of glory, of glory in heaven. Now, here's what this means. Some of us are being persecuted and suffer because we, of stupid things we've done. I'm going to just ask for a confession. How many of you have done stupid things and reaped the benefits? And Yeah, been there. But there are times where we've done nothing and we're still persecuted in those things. Listen to what Jesus said about those times. Blessed are you when they rebel or insult and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. That means when they come up against you, they accuse you of all these different things. They, they want to push you down to elevate themselves. And you're sitting there and they've done these horrible things to you. You sit there and you say, hey, before God, I know I haven't done anything wrong to them. So therefore, I can't imagine the reward God's going to give me if I just handle this the right way. Because my God wants to give my life purpose. He wants to bring protection to my life. He wants to bring provision. And if I follow him and I do what his word says, I will live a blessed life. 
God says we inherit a blessing when we treat our enemies with love and mercy. Now, let's look quickly. I got to hurry. The prescription for the hero. Look at verse 10. It says this. For he who would live, excuse me, for he who would love life and see good days. That's the header there. Verses 10 through 12 gives us the prescription to live good days in spite of our circumstances. To live in peace in spite of our circumstances. So here it is. The prescription for the hero. We got to have the right proclamation. The right proclamation. We got to say the right things. The Bible says, for he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Note the word evil in the text. The tongue, according to James, is a world of evil. And without proper restraint, the tongue can corrupt and destroy. Many of the problems of life are caused by the wrong words spoken in the wrong spirit. And by the way, look at this Psalm here. Psalm 141 is something we all need to pray for ourselves every day. Listen to what it says. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth and keep watch over the door of my lips. That's not a bad prayer that we need to pray for ourselves. A Christian must also keep his lips from speaking deceit. We must not deviate from integrity and the truthfulness in our, in our speech. Next, the prescription for the hero. They need to be on the right path. How many of you ever said something like this? Well, she's on the right path. Or he's on the wrong path. You ever said something like that? Now, what did you mean by that? Think about it. What did you mean by that? Did you know God's word gives us instruction as to what is the right and wrong path? Look at verse 11. It says, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. So turning from evil and pursuing peace, the Bible says is the right path. Now the right path spoken by Jesus. Look at what he says in Matthew chapter five. Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those, now this is tough, who spitefully use you and persecute you. Think about that. Who spitefully use you. Have you ever been used? Do you know that being used is one of the most humiliating things we can ever experience as human beings? To be used spitefully. And so he's saying, listen, when someone does something or speaks evil against you, do not retaliate, but do good by pursuing peace. Now, let's continue. The prescription for the hero, the right perspective. Look at verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Have you ever wondered about what that phrase, the face of the Lord, it's not the only time it's mentioned in scripture, but the face of the Lord is upon those who do evil. How many of you remember when you were a kid being in church, preachers up there preaching his heart out, you're over there playing with your little friends. Your mom's on the other side of the room. All of a sudden, you make eye contact with her. You, you know the look I'm talking about? You, you ever been with your wife, you men, and you're out there running your mouth, and all of a sudden, you cross a line with your mouth, <laughs> and, and you get the look. You ever had the look from your wife? Man, I thought the look from mom was bad. That wife, man, she can, mm, she can chew you up with that look. But, but here's what you need to understand. When it says that God's face is on, that means, listen, he is set on making it right. 
He's going to make it right. He's going to come into contact with making that right. See, God is watching those who practice righteousness and will judge those who practice evil. Peter quoted these statements from Psalm 34. From Psalm 34 is what you have, verses 10, 11, and 12. And now here's the footnote. Look on your outline. Verses 10 through 12 are taken from Psalms 34, as I've already said. It teaches us that a good day is when a person glorifies the Lord, experiences answers to prayer, tastes the goodness of God, and senses God's nearness. All these things, that that is what Psalms 34, King David wrote it. That's what he says is a good day when these things are done. For most of us, you know what a good day is? When we get everything on our list checked off. I mean, isn't it? Doesn't matter what kind of attitude we have when we were checking it off. I mean, I mean, so what happens is we need to realize that there is a day that God has ordained for us to have, and it begins with these things. But listen, it all comes from the right perspective. Listen, the reason many of you are not enjoying the blessings of God, let me just say it, you don't have the right perspective. You're not looking at life right. There's a sermon I preached several years ago, and I'm going to close with this. And I did a comparison between Jacob of the Old Testament and Paul uh, the Apostle Paul. And what I did is I looked at these two gentlemen and, and, and I showed you that they were very, both very privileged men in Scripture. Now, Jacob, Jacob caused a lot of trouble for himself. How many of you remember reading that in the Bible? But eventually, there were things done to him that were out of his control. Uh, Paul, on the other hand, had all these things going against him. Everybody was after to kill, out to kill him and all these things. And so you, I set the context for these two men. Now, here, there's... Two verses that summarize where these men, their perspective on life. Jacob got some bad news, and here's what his perspective was. Everything is against me. Woe is me. I've been hurt. This happened to me. I mean, I'm not making fun of anybody, but let me just say this. A person who is hard-souled is a person that when you talk to them and you finally get them to open up, that, that, that they go down to a laundry list of all the things that's ever been done to them. You know what that tells you? They haven't worked through those issues. And don't just turn them off. They may be reaching out to you for help. But let me just tell you this. That right there tells you that. And so here's what you need to understand. Jacob... All these things are against me. Everyone's against me. And and he lived his life that way. And and all of a sudden, his perspective was totally distorted. But then Paul comes along in Romans 8, 28. And there's a paraphrase of that that one verse. And here's what it literally means. Everything is for me. God is doing a work in my life in such a way that the pains that I deal with, the the persecution I'm dealing with, all these things, they're working for my benefit and for the benefit of the kingdom of God. That is the perspective we need to have. And that, I believe, is what Peter is trying to teach us. So look at the application. As Christians, we are to both have and do. We are to have important traits which lead to harmony and compassion with others. We are to do that which is pleasing to God. In this case, is to replace personal vengeance with blessing and trust in the Lord with our circumstances. With all our circumstances. Would you stand to your feet, please? Father, we just come to you right now. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for this challenge this morning. And Father, I have no doubt there's someone sitting in this room who may have listened to this word. And and basically, they're coming away today saying, yes, I hear all this. But you have no idea what's been done to me.
Father, help them to realize that if they know you as our Lord and Savior, that they can be living above all the hurt that's been done to them by realizing that there's something supernatural that is waiting to occur in their life. That the Holy Spirit is working them to that degree, to the point that they can forgive, that they can be restored. Father, I pray for that person. Father, there may be a person here today that doesn't know you as our Lord and Savior. They've never embraced what your word has to say. I pray today will be the day they'll give the heart to you. And Father, maybe there's someone here today that believes it's the church home you called them to be a part of. Lord, if that's true, I pray they'll be obedient to that. We thank you for what you're going to do here today in this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Myself, Jonathan, and Gary will be here at the front. If God's working in your life, you need someone.